Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. This week's episode features Calvin James with a message called Fighting the Good Fight of Faith. So I want to talk about fighting about tonight, fighting the good fight of faith. Amen? Amen. That's not a topic, but that's what the Lord laid on my heart. And uh, I was reviewing my notes and I had to go back to an old lesson I did on being born from above. Because I have to set the, the foundation. I want to thank God for the word that went forth already on the brother Robert Passard and Luna James. So what you're going to hear is nothing new. But young people take notes. Uh, children take notes because this is important. And... I want us to answer two questions before we get into our lesson. And the first question is, why did Adam eat the forbidden fruit? Anybody can answer that question? Now, let me set the wrong rules. I, unfortunately, teach. So I, when I ask a question, it's not rhetorical. Amen? I expect you to be listening. And I expect you to be responding. Is that all right? Yes. Is that all right? Yes. Okay, good. So, why did Adam eat the fruit? Yes, I see a hand in the back. Because his wife told him to. Is that right? Yes. Amen. Let's give our young people a big hand. Yes. Why did Adam eat the fruit? Anybody else? But here's another another response. One that has been the cause of us going through this revolving door of overcoming and then falling, overcoming and then falling. Man, mankind, ate, he disobeyed, he died, not because he ate the fruit. Essentially, he ate the fruit, he died. But that's not why. Many people say he ate the fruit because he disobeyed. Adam did not eat the fruit because he disobeyed. He ate the fruit because he did not believe. That's why God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, that whosoever, that whosoever, believe in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. God doesn't want obedience. It sounds strange, but that's not what he wants. There's an ancient saying that says, I can obey you even though I don't believe you. But if I believe you, I will obey you. And this principle is true in the relationship that God wants to have with mankind. Do you know that God only asked man to obey him when he introduced the law? 
can't go through the entire lesson, but when he introduced the law was the first time God told man to obey him. Because at that time, man's relationship with God was so far gone, man could not believe God. Now listen to what I said. I didn't say man didn't believe God. He could not believe God. So God had, in his grace and in his mercy, because the they, they, they rightful response to walking outside of the principles of God is death. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you these rules, follow them, obey me. And so, man could not believe God. The second question I want us to answer before we get into this lesson is, what happened when Adam and Eve ate the fruit? Their eyes was open, right? Any other? Oh, yes, a young person here. Uh-huh. They were naked. They realized that they were naked. So, those are what we call the evidence of eating the fruit. But what happened? Well, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. And um, I want you to take notes because we're not going to read each scripture. But I'll read this one. And it says, These are the generations of heavens, the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5. And every plant of the field before it was in earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Verse 7. This is the verse I want us to focus on. So I'm going to... We're going to go through scriptures. So if you're not able to follow, take notes, please. Verse 7. This is from Genesis chapter 2. We read from verse 4. We are now in verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into him his nostril, the breath of life. And man became a living soul. This, this life is called eternal life. It is a God life. There's a Greek word for it. I don't want to bore you with it. But what it, what it basically engenders is this life that never ends. It's powerful. It's God's glory. When it comes in contact with this full-grown human being, his soul comes alive. When, when the creator, God himself, breathed the breath of life into man, man's mind, his will and his emotions, his attitudes became fully functional. There are a lot of people walking throughout the earth. And, you know, we make this fundamental, fundamental mistake. We mistake animation for life. Not because I can speak means that I have life. Do you remember the story when, when uh, Jesus was about to leave and someone came to him and said, Master, give me a few moments. I'm going to bury my relative. What did God say? Let the dead. Were those people dead? Were they 
going to have a mass funeral? No. They did not have eternal life. So they were dead. And that's what happens when God's spirit enters into you. You, you, are, you become, can I say normal? So those people who don't have eternal life, what are they? They are abnormal. So if we agree it is life that causes the soul, that is our mind, our will, our emotions, our attitudes to function properly and in relationship to our creator, what happens when you, when you don't have life? What happens to your mind, your soul? Well, let's read it. We just read it. If your soul is impacted by the Holy Spirit, your mind, your will, your emotion, it functions properly. Well, your mind and your will and your emotions and your attitudes, they do not function properly. That's why you, my brother, you, my sister, you need a Savior. There's no other way to live except you come into contact with eternal life. Amen? Amen? And so the question, what happened when Adam and Eve ate the fruit? In, uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 to 17, and you can read it. Verses 17 talks about God warning Adam that if you shall partake of this fruit, in that day you will die. He didn't say on that day. In that day is like uh, in the Caribbean, we have the rainy season and we have the dry season. So in the dry season, what is characteristic about the dry season? There is sun and there is humidity and there might be drought. In the rainy season, what do we have? Imagine the rain is synonymous with floods. Okay, so you have floods. So, when you eat of that fruit, you are translated, you are moved from the day of life, the season of life, into the season of death. So that is what happened to Adam and Eve when they ate of the fruit. They moved from life to that. And when that happened, our sister said, oh, we are naked. In fact, God never told them they were naked. That is what happens when you move into death. You say things that God never says about you. We, we, that's a different message. But we, that, that, and, and one of the first evidence that you are living, that man lives in in, in uh, that season of death is he begins to fear God. He begins to fear life. I'm afraid if I don't make it to heaven. I'm afraid of what they say of me. I'm afraid what I'm afraid of the shadows. Fear. So it is for that reason that we need to be born again. And this is where we are going to take off with tonight's lesson. What are we talking about? 
What are we talking about? Have I lost you already? Fighting <laughs> the good fight of faith. Amen? Okay. Now, turn your Bibles to John chapter 3, verse 3. We're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures, so. We want to equip our young people, equip our saints to be able to live victorious lives. Amen? And that's the purpose of, of this lesson. In John, and, and Brother, Brother James mentioned this in his lesson this morning, he said that the first reason for one to be born again is to move from the season or day of death into the season or day of life so that they can Okay, let's read it. Let's read it then. Maybe you all forgot. Did, did you all hear what Brother James said this morning? What's going on, Brother James? <laughs> Alright, so Brother James said in John chapter 3, verse 3, except a man be born again, he cannot, he cannot, he cannot see the kingdom. That's not um, physical, optical, uh, sort of uh, stuff. Uh, for young people, if you have ever had trouble in your arithmetic, you all still use that word? I have to ask my son these days, which words they don't use that word, what word they use now? Mathematics. So they've gone back to mathematics. <laughs> when you do your mathematics and you run into some problems and you're struggling and you are computating and you are trying to figure it out, all of a sudden, this aha moment happens. That's seeing. When you move from the day of death into the day of life, you are now able to see kingdom life. Amen? These things become all of a sudden transparent. They become noble. It's no longer hidden. And that's why we must be born again. Otherwise, a dysfunctional mind, uh, a mind that's removed from God, a mind that's in the day of death, they can't see these things. What they, they say these are foolish things. It's foolishness. So the, the, the purpose for us being born again is for us to begin to see the kingdom principles that God has given to us. But, but here's, the, here's the difficulty. And this, I had a discussion with someone this afternoon which reinforced what I've been hearing amongst God's people, not only in this vineyard, but Christians in general. Yes, we are born again. But we are not living that born again life. Amen? And it doesn't matter how small it is. Don't, don't look and say, well, nice person in the back there, leaders and leaders, and me, I go to church. I will show that your wife every now and then, but I go to church. Doesn't matter how small it is. We want victory in all areas of our life. Amen. 
Amen? Amen. And that's the struggle. So turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. Now, in case I don't finish, what, what this lesson will attempt to do is to show you, to show me, it showed me, that God has already made a way for us to be victorious. Amen? He's, he has also given us tools by which we can fight that good fight of faith. And then the lesson ends by showing you practical examples of men and women in the scripture. How they fought that good fight of faith. Amen? Verse 8 tells us, Beware lest any man spoil you with philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ or after the anointing. Where did you hear that word uh, today? Again, it's not a rhetorical question. Where did you hear that word today? Brother James, what did you say about the anointing? It breaks the yoke, very good. But young people should know this. You all rattled it off. Let me hear you. What, what did you say about the anointing? We can only be set free by the anointing. We can only live by the anointing. We only move by the anointing. That's what Christ means. So young people, when you see that word Christ, it means anointing. Amen? So he says, beware of man's approach to living. The, the, the way they approach life, he's saying it's, been, it's beneath us. Amen? And down in verse 20, listen to what he said in verse 20, of that same um, chapter, he says, Wherefore, if you be dead in Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, you are, you subject yourselves to these, to this lifestyle. If you want to succeed, how do you do that? Well, we have the playbook for how the world does it, right? So that's what we follow. He is saying that this playbook no longer works for us. It's beneath us. We now must look to see what's the kingdom's playbook. Because it's far superior to any other approach to life. And that's what he wants for all of us. He wants us to walk in victory. He wants the best for us. And he has given us a superior playbook to operate from. Amen? Amen. So he's saying, don't, don't, uh, don't operate in the world's uh, way of things. It's lower. Those principles are lower than what God has called you to operate in. Now, the good thing is, we see in, in, in verse 20, is that we died to those things. So why are we living as if we have not died to those things? And we'll see why in a moment. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's amazing when God, God opens your eyes to see 
that we don't have to continually be going through this revolving door. He, when we are born from above, we can see these principles that God is giving us uh, from above. It's, I call them the God principles. We, in our home, we have devotion and we get our kids to list them out so that they can review them. It's in there, how to live. It's in the book so that we can live. And so I want to encourage homes, parents, have family devotions and teach our children the God principles. I want to encourage our elders and deacons to start sharing these God principles so that we don't have more people walking through this revolving door year after year. Now, what Paul is saying in the scripture we just read is this. When we are born from above, we get a different set of tools or principles or weapons to live by. So the question Paul is asking is, why are we living like everyone else when we've got something else that enables us to live beyond what everyone else is living? The problem is that most new creation saints, like me, are ignorant of the tools and the principles that God has given to us. So we reduce our living, our lifestyle, to be just like everyone else because we don't know the principles. We don't know the weapons. We don't know our tools to live victoriously, to live from above. So here's a scenario. We have accepted the word of faith and we become born again. We become born from above. And we taught, indeed, as we were assured by with the elders, that we will overcome all our flaws and live in victory. However, when many believers are not experiencing that overcoming life, they begin to doubt their salvation. And they begin to read articles, the 10 steps to victorious living, and the 9 steps to whatever. It might work for a while. And then we go right back to where we began. To have to do it all over again. And then Brother James calls three nights of meetings. And you go to these meetings and you're you're in the line the first day and you're delivered. You come back the next night. He says, anyone needs help? And you're in the line again. The second night. And by the third night, Brother James is wondering, what is going on? And what happens is that we, I did, we then accept that as just the way it is. And so we come up with these nice phrases, nice phrases. Oh, well, I'm just human. Ever heard that one? And another one that is found somewhere in the Bible that I have never found. Well, God helps those who help themselves. (laughs) You all know that scripture? And so we, we limit the power of God, we limit eternal, we imagine we limit eternal life 
because we refuse to walk in it. Now, Paul addresses this scenario in Colossians chapter 2. I think we are still in there, right? Yes. We just read it, so I'm going to read it again. Take notes. Now, verses 8 and 11 tells us that all the principles that we, the new creation, needs are revealed in and by and through the anointing. Amen? It is the anointing that breaks the yoke. The anointing is how we access these principles. It is the anointing and only the anointing by which these principles work. So when we are born again, it's just not enough for us to say that that will take us into victory. The truth is revealed in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Right? And uh, I did a small study. I'm not going to go through it. I'm just going to tell you on that. And Jesus Christ's ministry of teaching and miracles only began when he was anointed. Now think about it. He came from heaven and that eternal place and God told him this is what you're going to do. But it was only when he was anointed that his ministry started. In fact, Jesus said it himself. In Luke 4, 18 to 19, he said, and I quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he had anointed me. To do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the accepted year of the Lord. So if we, the first lesson I want us to, 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 to embrace is we need God's anointing. Yes. Without the anointing, Jesus was just Jesus of Nazareth. With the anointing, he is Jesus the Christ. Yes. Amen? Yes. It is the anointing that is going to change our approach to life. Verse 12 of Colossians. Let's go back to Colossians. That verse tells us that these principles, the, the principles that we need to apply to our lives, by the, it's, it, 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 it is by the anointing. And what I have come to the conclusion and observed are these. The anointing is provided by our Father. It is from above. And it's a powerful agent 
of change. So we now know, and I want us to accept because we don't have time to go further, that we must first move from the season of death into the season of so that we can see. When we see these principles, we must now call on God to anoint us. How does that happen? By the Holy Spirit. Amen? So now that you are endued with that life force from above, the, the Holy Spirit, many of us stop there. Yes, I am now filled with the Holy Spirit that I can speak in tongues. And we come back in 2024. Lord, I need you to help me to overcome this. Lord, I need you to help me overcome that. We must now, with that anointing, ask God to show us these kingdom tools or kingdom principles that we need to walk in so that the anointing can use these principles and tools in our lives. Make sense? Amen? Amen. Is this helping anyone? Good. And uh, we did a whole lesson on this in in, in Guyana, so I'm just going to summarize what these kingdom principles are. And, and take take note. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it very slowly. The question is, what are these kingdom principles? What are these tools we need to walk in by the anointing? And the answer is, it is faith in the operation of God that is required for us to begin living in life. It is faith in the operation of God that is required for us to begin living in life. And this faith is the faith in the finished works of Jesus Christ. That is faith in what happened to us when we were in Christ. Um... Let me see if I can I can uh, give you a picture of how that works. Let's just let's let's pretend that this is an envelope, and I put a gold coin in this envelope. Do you see the gold coin? What do you see? The envelope. Where is the envelope? Where is the gold coin? No, no, it's the envelope. Where's the gold coin? In the envelope. You sure about that? You can't see it, right? Why? It's in the envelope. What am I stamping? What if I tell you I'm stamping the gold coin? Whatever is in this envelope experiences everything the envelope experiences. If you are in Christ, then everything Christ went through, you experience. 
So what we need to do is to find out what was the outcome of the finished works of Jesus through the operation of Jesus Christ on the, from the passion, that is, when he was in the garden, to when he was whipped. What happened when he was whipped? We were in Christ, right? When he was whipped, what happened to us? Because we're in Christ. Well, one, we were whipped too. But what came out of that? We are healed. So healing, because you are in Christ, you are healed. What happened when he was prostrate on the cross, slumping over in pain, ebbing on death stone? What happened to us? Read it. You need to find it. What happened when he died? Because what happened, whatever happened to him when he died, happened to me. What happened when we put him in the tomb? Whatever happened to him, happened to me. What happened when he rose from the grave? Whatever happened to him, happened to me. What happened when he ascended into heaven? Whatever happened to him, happened to me. What happened to us when Christ now sits at the right hand of God in heavenly places? We have, that's what we have to believe in. The finished works of Jesus Christ. It is faith in what happened to us in Christ when he was buried and when he was resurrected and when he was ascended and finally when he was seated. Do you have faith in what Jesus did for you? Or do you still believe God has more work to do? The question really is, is the work finished or is it still continuing? That's not a rhetorical question. Is it finished or is the work still continuing? Is the work finished or is the work still continuing? Is the work finished or is it still continuing? Many people still believe it's still continuing. I believe it is finished. There's no more work to do. Because whatever happened to Christ happened to me. Amen? Can we agree on that? Okay, so then turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 15 to 20. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith, in the Lord Jesus. What did they what did they have faith in? Finished works of the Lord Jesus. That's what Paul taught them. And whoever went into Ephesus taught them that message. And then Paul heard that they too believed in the finished works of Jesus. And love for the saints. Cast cease rather, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, 
and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Whose inheritance? So whatever he inherited, who inherited it? Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward? Who? Obeyed. 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 Who believed? According to the working of his mighty power. Verse 20. Which he wrought where? So whatever happened to Christ happened to you. When he raised him from the dead, set him on his right hand in heavenly places. Verse 21. Far above all principalities. So where is Christ seated? Let's read it. At the right hand of God. And what? what because he is there positionally, we, no, rather he, is now far above all principalities, all powers, all might, all dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. Now, if he is there positionally, I am also seated there. And if he, by virtue of being seated there, is far above all these things, then guess what? I am there too. I don't know about you, but I am there. Amen? So here Paul is making the point that we have to get to know the tools of spiritual victory. And he's praying that we enter into that revelation. Amen? Let's, let's look at chapter 2 of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 to 6 tells us, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, had quickened us together, has quickened us together, we were in him. Verse 6 tells us, And had raised him up together, oh, us, so we are, we are in him. He has raised us up together and made us to do what? Sit together. Where? And if we are there positionally, then we are far above all principalities, all powers, all might, all dominion, and every name that is named. Amen. That's where we are. Thank you, Lord. Paul, can I say, I am praying that we see this revolution. The principles of victory is moving from death into life so that we can see. And when we see, we, are, we ask God to anoint us and then show us the tools of our victory. This is what, what we read is what God did. And that's our true status. That, that's who we are. Not the other thing. Remember when, when Adam moved from life into death, what did he say? I was naked. But God never said he was naked. Now that we have moved from death into life, what does God say? We have victory. But what do we say? 
I'm only human. Things hard. I can't make it. This is not for me. We've been given a heavenly status. And I call this grace because the status I now have, I didn't work for it. I didn't earn it. It was given to me because I was found in Christ. Amen? So the key to changing your life, I want you to listen to this. It may sound contradictory. The key to changing your life is not changing your life. The key to changing your life is not changing your life. Instead, it is accepting and receiving the life that we have in Christ and saying so. Someone once told me, you only say what you believe. If I ask somebody, what color is the morning sky? They will say blue. No, I will say black. They will say blue. I will say black. We'll, go, we'll do that back and forth, and then I will stop and say, why do you think the sky is blue? Well, that's what I believe. The question is, what do you believe? Do you believe what you say, or do you believe what God says about you? Do you believe what you say about yourself? Does that have more clout, more focus, more priority? Or do you believe what God says about you? He says you are far above all principalities and powers, demons, you name it. And I say, well, when I go home, there's a demon under the bed. But he just said you are far above all these things. But I say, no, there's one under the bed. What do you believe? This report. Amen? So far, you're not getting any nine steps, right? You're getting the scripture. The kingdom principles. So, and that's just the first part. So we may have to end soon. And uh, you have to ask these brethren to let me continue if you want to get rest. But I want to just leave you with this before we close. Because now we're going to go on a line because this has to be done line by line. Amen? So this is the first line. Let's all turn in our Bibles to John chapter 3. And we're going to read two verses in that chapter. Verses 3 and then verses 5. John chapter 3. And, and Sister Lynn told me I can call on the young people to help. 
So I call Brother Stevenson. Please come. Please come. Come again. Help me read. You can do it, don't worry. Let's encourage this young man. Jesus said, Jesus answered, answered unto him, Very, very, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus answered, Very, very, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's Amen. Amen. Let's encourage our young people. Amen. And this is the principle I want to leave before I take my seat. And the principle is this. The born again experience or the born from above experience is to give us the ability to see the things which are from above. The principles that are from above, that's what the born-again experience enables us to do. And once we see, we can enter. And the way that we enter is by accepting what you have seen or what the Holy Spirit shows you and then putting it to work. That's the part that we miss out. That's the good fight of faith. In that same chapter, verses uh, 13 to 15, Jesus elaborates on that principle by going back into the time of Moses when Moses lifted up the serpent so that the people can be healed from their snake bites. And the principle was simply this. And, and then Jesus said in that portion of scripture, just as that serpent was lifted, I must be lifted. And they, and you can find this uh, Moses serpent story in Numbers chapter 21, verses 49. And you can see the parallels. So just as the serpent was lifted up in Numbers chapter 21, and whomsoever will looked on that serpent was healed, Jesus is saying, in the same way, I must be lifted up and looked upon so that we can see what God did to and for us in Christ. What was God doing to us in Christ on the cross? What was God doing to us in Christ when he died, etc.? And the more we look at that, the more life we enter into. The more the Holy Spirit gives us fresh revelation about that picture, the more eternal life will be manifested in our circumstances. Your old one to suddenly and permanently become new one to So I hope you would agree with me 
as I did when I read these scriptures, that eternal life manifesting in us is not solely a product of being born again or being born from above. But it also includes seeing what happened to us when we were born again. Amen? Because what happened to us when we were born again looks nothing like what we say we are. I am only human. That's not what happened to us when we were born again. We became sons. I cannot make it. That is not what happened to us when we were born again. We became more than overcomers. Amen? You see the picture? So that's what we must begin to start studying so that God can begin to reveal to us more and more of the life that uh, was given to us when we were in Christ. I will stop here for now. And uh, I hope this encourages us to look for something more. Because when God opens your eyes to see who you really are, it is nothing like what you say you are. And if you see what God says you are, the scripture says you must begin to say so. So I don't say anymore that I am growing into sonship. Because if I say that, I'm saying that the work that God did isn't finished. And there's more work to do. So now I say, without fear of contradiction, and you may not like me, that's okay. I say, I am a son. That's what the scripture says. That's what happened in Christ. When I looked at the cross, that's what I saw. And because I saw what Christ did for me, I have no choice but to say, I am a son. Amen? May God bless you. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.